Welcome back, Hoops fans, to another episode of the Why Not Us podcast, college basketball edition. Tonight, we got myself, Adam Glick, along my side, Josh Spaith and Mason Gross. How are the two of you doing on this Wednesday evening? Doing pretty well. Happy to be here talking about hoops, as always, with the guys. And looking forward to, of course, diving into some great mid-major action. I know the Horns had a tough loss to Gonzaga, but we weren't expecting them to win that game. Definitely learned a lot from that, and I'm sure we'll break that down pretty soon. Yeah, I'm excited to be back on the Why Not Us College Basketball Edition for the first time since the KVRX days. So don't call it the return yet. We'll see how today goes. Yeah, and we will see how it goes. But we got to talk about the two games that we previewed last week, break them down. They were two excellent games. Really, the first one that we're going to touch on was probably one of the best games of the season so far, and that was UCLA in Villanova and Pauley Pavilion. The Bruins coming out in front in overtime in this game, came back, is down as much 10 points in the second half and coming back against the Villanova Wildcats. Guys, what did you see from both these teams? And do you think this win for UCLA puts them in the discussion as a Final Four contender? Yeah, so they're certainly a Final Four contender. They're returning pretty much everybody from last season, in addition to getting Miles Johnson from Rutgers. They made the final four run last year. And honestly, going into that game against Villanova, I thought they were going to lose. And that's because while they did make the final four, they were a first four team in the NCAA tournament and almost lost to Michigan State, if I remember correctly. So I didn't know exactly what we were going to get with UCLA. But what we got is a top five team in the country that really took it to Villanova. Yes, the game went to overtime, but they looked really good, even without one of their starters in Cody Riley. This team is legit. Mick Cronin has all of the pieces in place, and the depth is there too. So there's no reason why UCLA can't make a return run. Yeah, good for Mick Cronin. I know that back in his Cincinnati days, he was dying to have something like this. And, of course, he took the UCLA 11 seed to the final four. And now he's got arguably a top three team in the country. Pretty ridiculous what the Bruins are putting together. Both myself and Adam on this pod picked Villanova incorrectly. And although it did get sent to OT, I thought that UCLA arguably outplayed them for at least most of the second half. And then some of overtime, they definitely battled back a good amount. And then in OT, they just completely took over. I mean, you've got Jaime Jaquez going 21 and 13 on 14 shots to really counterbalance Johnny Juzang taking 24 shots and going one of eight from three. It seems like they've got their guys in place, as you noted, Mason, that they need. Tiger Campbell is probably one of the best point guards they could ask for. Definitely, He looked really good. Yeah, he doesn't need to shoot the ball a lot, but when he does, he's probably going to hit it. Obviously, the hair is to die for. And, you know, this this team is going to have a lot of challenges. They play Gonzaga. In six days, and I believe that game is in Vegas. It so, is. Yeah. Are you going to that game, Adam? I am not going to that game. I'm going to the Maui the next day. Oh, that's too bad. That's yeah. that's arguably a. Uh, I know. A rematch. Well, Ticket, it is a rematch. Were a little Maui. expensive. A little bit. Yeah, you <laughs> could say. <that. laughs> it is a rematch of the Final Four, in which we saw Jalen Suggs hit that ridiculous buzzer beater, and I'm guessing USA UCLA will be gunning for a win in this one. I still thought that Nova played pretty well. Obviously, UCLA is one of the top teams in the country. It's in LA. And I'm still very high on this Nova team. I could have 
like to see a little bit more out of their bench. They only had four points out of there. They got uh, the younger Archie Diacono. See if he'll do anything this year. But obviously their main scorers in Justin Moore, Connor Gillespie, and Jermaine Samuels are going to be the highlight this season. And between the three of them, they played pretty well. I just think defensively they eventually started to erode and UCLA took over. Yeah, I think a lot of piggyback on what you guys said. I was really impressed with UCLA, the rebounding margin they won. I believe by 14, 46 to 32, even without Cody Riley in the lineup. And for Villanova, the, for them, really, as Josh, you just talked about, I'm worried about their bench. Caleb Daniels needs to step up more and then obviously get Cosby Roundtree back healthy would be key for Villanova. Their starting lineup is great, but they need more help off the bench. And going to a place like that in Poly Pavilion, one of the biggest games they've had there in a long time. Still a very impressive performance, even though they did lose in overtime. I still think these two teams are top 10 Final Four caliber teams down the road for sure. I but will now, say, though, Adam, yeah. size is going to be a problem for Villanova. Their tallest mm-hmm. starter is six foot eight, and that's why UCLA out-rebounded them 46 to 32. Yeah. And we're going to get to this a little with Texas, but you need to have size if you're going to make a run. Yes, and as Mason just kind of alluded to with this Texas team size was a big problem in their game this past Saturday against the Gonzaga Bulldogs, where they pretty much handily had this game in the bag pretty much from the start. They won this game 86, 74 drew Timmy put on an all-star game performance with 37 points and seven rebounds on 15 of 19 shooting. And this was not a video game. This was real life. Drew Timmy was doing it all and Texas had no answers for them. Guys, Mason, I'll start with you. 86-74, what did you see from the Longhorns? And you talked about the size. Is this going to be a concern down the road? Yeah, so I know we're living in 2021, and we're all about masculine, empowering, but size matters. I'm sorry. And that that's what <laughs> happened to Texas here. Um, your tallest starter in this game was Christian Bishop at 6'7". Gonzaga has Drew Timmy who I believe is 6'10", and Chet Holmgren, who I believe is 7'1". Holmgren did nothing in this game, but that's because he didn't need to. Drew Timmy had 37 points on 15 for 19 shooting. And much to the chagrin of our good friend Drew Greenberg, the trainer, who thought Chris Beard would have this masterful game plan to stop Drew Timmy, it didn't seem to come into fruition. You had Christian Bishop taking him one-on-one, and when it wasn't him, it was Trey Mitchell who seemed to do okay. But the fact of the matter is, when you're going up against the wooden favorite, you can't let him go one-on-one when he is bigger, stronger, faster, taller than you. You need to send in more players. And then Texas started to do that in the second half, and that's why Timmy didn't put up as many points. But then he was dishing it outside to guys like Andrew Nebhard and Rasir Bolton, who were knocking down their outside shots. This is why Gonzaga is the number one team in the country, folks. Texas is a great team. Don't get me wrong. But Gonzaga is elite. You've got two huge guys inside. And then you try and take them away. And you've got guys like Andrew Nebhard, who was on the team last year, averaged nine points. And then Rasir Bolton coming from Iowa State who averaged 15 and a half there. Like, this is a great team. And I'd be shocked if they don't make another Final Four run. As for Texas, look, 
the skill is there. The team is going to match at some point. But the size is just such a huge issue for them. And Dylan Disu coming back may be able to solve some of it. But it's going to be tough for this team to make a run when they're going to get out-rebounded every game by these bigger teams. Yeah, and I mean, we were definitely pretty high on Chet Holmgren, but Drew Timmy, as you alluded, is the wooden preseason favorite. And I would be shocked if he didn't win, if he's going to keep on putting up performances like this. This Gonzaga team, as I also mentioned, might even be better this year than last year. And they didn't even lose any games until the final last year. They are so deep. They're so stacked. They've got plenty of guys who can score the ball. And yes, Texas is a very, very well-versed, deep team that can go in and get guys that can score. Having Jace Febris off the bench to hit a couple threes is always great. But it doesn't matter if you can't stop the best players on the best teams because they will just flat out beat you. That's option A for them every single time. If those guys start to struggle because you have good defense, that's when your depth starts to play a role. And Texas was never in this game because Drew Timmy was never going to miss a shot, and he barely did. So it was very clear to me from the get-go that things were going to get ugly. Texas made the score a little bit prettier in the second half. I did like what I saw out of Timmy Allen. He's shooting the ball really well, and I think he's going to potentially be one of the best players on this team. And then, as you mentioned, Trey Mitchell was playing some decent defense on Drew Timmy, but what can you really do? I'm not even sure if if having Dylan DeSue – on this team is going to help a lot. I think that this team is really going to be focusing on their shootings, their shooters and their best shooting guards out there. And if they can't make that work, it's, it's going to be tough, especially if they're getting out rebounded in this game, they actually wound up out rebounding Gonzaga, but it didn't matter because Gonzaga could get any points inside that they wanted to. So it will definitely be a storyline to watch for Texas. As we mentioned, this was going to be a huge test. Now they have a very long stretch of games against teams that more likely than not are going to be maybe not tournament teams. I know Seton Hall will definitely be a big challenge for them. and We'll talk about their game against Michigan later on. But for the most part, for the next month or so, they're playing a lot of, a lot of teams that they can you know, start getting their licks on. Yeah, and for me, the Texas, this game really – showed just I was really disappointed in the guard play. Marcus Carr, Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, they all did not have good games. Marcus Carr had the most points of three of them, but he only shot four thirteen. He wasn't aggressive enough. He wasn't hitting shots. And this team doesn't have the luxury of size. So they have to shoot well from beyond the arc, especially against teams that are more talented than you. And they weren't doing that. And that's why they got pretty much handily beat the entire time. And for Gonzaga, we've t- you guys have talked about it. They're on another level. I don't really know if there's another team at this moment that's on Gonzaga's level. UCLA is close. They get Cody Riley back, but I don't know if they're there. Gonzaga has all the weapons at their disposal. Chet Holmgren had two points, and he was the tallest guy on the court. I thought he was going to have a monster game. He only shot the ball three times, and they still won against a top-five team at the time, handily at home. Also, that environment at the kennel is one in a million – it's other than Cameron indoor. It is the second best environment in the country. In my opinion, they had to camp out for two days to get tickets to this game. And it was well worth it for those Gonzaga fans. 86 74 was the final in this game. Texas will be playing scene hall on December 9th. That's the next marquee game for this Texas team. They play. We're not going to get into it. They played tonight against Northern Colorado. They won by 13. They didn't look very good. And they also did not cover my spread, but I won't get into that. 
Let's move on to the GABA tip-off games. And if you don't know, the GABA tip-off games is the basically code for Big Ten and Big East Challenge. This is now the eighth year that it's been running. And guys, the Big East has never won in those eight years. Could this be the year? We're going to touch on some of these games. I don't want to get into all of them, but from what you've seen through the first five to six games of this challenge, what has been the most shocking to you? I'll start with Josh. So I think it would be easiest to talk about Seton Hall in Michigan. So I'm going to take that. This Michigan team is not super different from the one they had last year with obviously the subtraction of Isaiah Livers. Hunter Dickinson went crazy in this game. And even Eli Brooks had a good game as well, but it didn't really matter. I mean, this team is deep. They shot the ball not so great, 20% from three. And honestly, they just let Seton Hall get back into it. They had a steady almost 10-point lead for much of the second half. They were only up by three at the half, but you know, started off the second half in a nice way. And then slowly in the last five minutes, Seton Hall is creeping back, creeping back. And then they made it a game. And down the stretch, they just came down to a bad possession or two, and Michigan flopped. It was ridiculous. They're at home. They're the number four team in the country. They've got a really good lineup. And the Seton Hall team is pretty good, but they had to go to their bench for, what is it, 37 of their 67 points coming from those guys. I mean, Miles Kale, who's arguably the best player on this team, had eight points on three of nine shooting, and they still won the game. I love Ike Obiagu, if that's how you pronounce his name. He's a monster. He's like one of the biggest players in college basketball. 7'2", 265. Didn't take a shot in this game. Seton Hall still won. They went to their guys, Trey Jackson, who's been having a good year, and Bryce Aiken, both consistently good scorers off the bench. Both of them in double digits, and they were doing damage. And Michigan didn't have an answer. I'm not super worried, and I don't think this is super indicative of Michigan's performance, but... I do think that there is a little bit less fire in this team that there was last year. Obviously they've got the will to win and they're frequently a contender and a a team that can push for the final four every year. But man, this is, this is not a good loss that you really don't want to have at home. And another instance, as we could talk about a few where big 10 teams just choking to the big East in this Gavin tip off. Yeah. So I'm actually going to touch on that. You focused more on the micro landscape with one particular game that sort of summarized this whole challenge. I'm going to look at it from a macro perspective where you had the Big Ten last year send nine teams to the NCAA tournament and the Big East send four, four out of 11, nine out of 14. What you're seeing in this challenge is sort of a flipped script where the Big East is showing depth And the Big Ten is showing a lack thereof. You've got Michigan losing to Seton Hall. You've got Wisconsin losing to Providence. You've got Illinois losing to Marquette. So what you're seeing is this depth that the Big Ten had last year. It's not apparent. I don't think you're sending nine teams to the tournament this year, the Big Ten. I'm sorry. And the Big East, you've got Seton Hall, who's projected to be the sixth best team in the Big East. And you've got Providence, who's projected to be the eighth, who are winning. Marquette, projected to be the ninth, winning. Shaka Smart, good for you, by the way. I'll give you credit for that huge win against Illinois. The Big East is much improved this year. 
I thought Villanova was going to go and run away with this conference, but now I'm not so sure because we're starting to see depth. In the Big Ten last year, you had teams like Penn State who would just shock favorites like Ohio State, it seemed like. And I don't know that it's going to happen this year. I don't know that the Big Ten as a whole is nearly as strong. You've got Purdue and Michigan at the top. Michigan looks vulnerable. And Purdue, you've got your huge guys. We'll see. They haven't played a game yet against a real team. But I really don't know if the Big Ten is going to be this juggernaut that they were last year. And we saw we sort of saw a preview to that in the tournament where they went eight and nine in their games. This conference really may not be as good as analysts make it out to be. And obviously there have only been three or four games in the season for these teams, but this is going to be something to keep an eye on. Yeah. And I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. But a fact that I've found really surprising in this so far, the five games that have been played, four of the five winners have been on the road in this challenge, which is really surprising to me. But you talk about the Big East trying to step up from four teams last year. These are the kind of wins in November that they're going to look back on their resume and help them get into the tournament in my eyes. I think the Big Ten is a little down. I'm not going to put too much stock into it, but the what's disappointing about the Big Ten is they were supposed to win basically every single one of these games, and they've been losing. Even the Creighton-Nebraska game, Nebraska was favored in that game, and Creighton still won. So... The fact that they're losing these games, a lot of them at home and they've been ranked teams is really disappointing. Obviously, Purdue not being in this challenge is really hurting them. I think they're the best team in the Big Ten as of right now, but we'll see. It's still November. We'll get into it. Obviously, I'll mention this game on air once it goes final, but Indiana St. John's, if St. John's somehow wins this game, they would win the challenge. 75-74, 11 seconds left right now. But Josh, I know you want to talk about one of your teams. And you can talk about it for a couple, for a little bit. Ohio State Xavier is going to tell us a lot about this challenge and about both those teams tomorrow night in Cintas Center in Ohio. Josh, what are your thoughts? I think Ohio State's going to lose this game. And I think that at Indiana, obviously, we'll see what happens. But assuming that Indiana wins, this will be the game that clinches it. Ohio State has looked below average. I mean, I know they, they beat the heck out of, Bowling Green, but they beat Niagara by 10. And then, of course, we talked about the Akron game where they barely slipped by. And the Xavier team has only beaten Niagara by three. So I guess that's a common opponent, but who cares? It's it's in the Synthes Center. The Xavier team looks hungry. They were really good towards the end of the season last year. And they're bringing back a lot of the same guys. I really do not have a lot of faith in the Buckeyes this year. And the uh, one and a half point spread should tell you that you should watch this game at 530 on Thursday. Yeah, it's. I think it's going to be a great game. And that would be really cool to see Xavier win, especially clinch the first ever Gava tip-off games for the Big East. But we will see. Very exciting. There will be more challenges along the way. Obviously, the Big 12 SEC will get going in the late January, all on the same day, which we will be looking forward to for us as Texas fans. Let's get to my favorite part of the show, Brutality Watch. And once again, I will always explain it for anyone that doesn't know. That is when a team pays another team to come to their school and play a basketball game. And the cool part is sometimes they lose and they had to pay the team to do it. So this week, I'll start with Mason. Who got the biggest win from Brutality Watch, and who got the biggest loss? All right. For the biggest win, we are going to go with 
the Furman Paladins going to Louisville, who's projected to be a top six or so team in the ACC, a traditional power conference in college basketball. Furman going on the road and winning in overtime. If you're going to overtime, you expect a better team to take over. You're at home. But no, Furman just decided they're going to shock the world and do it on the back of Mike Bothwell, a senior who put up 30 points in this game. He's now put up over 22 in all of his games so far, averaging 25 for the season. Furman is in a loaded, loaded Southern Conference, as it seems to always be. The Citadel, they had a big win. Um, You've got Wofford, who's traditionally a powerhouse. You've got UNCG, who's traditionally a powerhouse. So we'll see where Furman shakes out in that overall grand scheme of things in the Southern Conference. But wow. You don't expect a team from the Southern Conference to go into Louisville and win in overtime. That's just amazing to me. As for the worst loss, we are going to touch on the Missouri Tigers losing at home to UMKC. Missouri should be the best team in Missouri. I'm sorry. You should not be losing to UMKC. Any team that has their that has four letters. As their team name, that just, you can't lose to a team like that. I'm sorry. Good for UMKC, though. Shocking the world, beating Mizzou. But dang, Missouri is a bad, bad team. Yeah, they they really are. I'll go before Josh does here. I will do the best win. It actually happened a few hours ago tonight. George Mason, obviously, we haven't really heard from them since that historic Final Four run. I don't know. I think it was 2004. It's been a long time. This was their, they went to Maryland tonight, who was ranked, I think 19 or 20, somewhere around there. And they won nine and a half point dogs, 71, 66. They were up a lot of the second half. They almost blew it at the end, but they got off to a four and oh start. George Mason, first win against a power five school since 2016. They obviously we're going to see a lot from this George Mason team. They're in a tournament in South Dakota coming up next week. We'll see. They play Washington, Nevada, and South Dakota State. But good, good job for the A-10 and George Mason somehow finding a way to win this in Maryland, who I thought Maryland's a pretty good team with Fats Russell, Eric Ayala, some really good guard play for the Terrapins. So credit to the Patriots of George Mason. The worst loss, it's going to come from our fellow Big 12 conference. It was Oklahoma State playing Oakland. And believe it or not, Oakland University is not located in Oakland, California. I believe they're located in Michigan. They went to Oklahoma State, 16 and a half point dogs, and they won 56-55. Okay, State, that can't happen. Under no circumstances can you lose 56-55 to at home to Oakland, who is not even going to be top in their conference Oklahoma State also blew this game at the very end. Not good. They only put up 55 points. Historically, Oakland plays one of the worst defenses in college basketball. Oklahoma State did kind of come back to earth, got a nice win tonight against NC State, but still, that can't happen. They're definitely my worst loss. Josh, what do you have? Well, for my best win, I got to go with the best shot since we've recorded a podcast which is the UC Riverside. Oh my goodness. The Highlanders, these guys, I know they were close for a little while, 
with San Diego State. If you have not seen this shot yet, it's about from three quarters court, absolute Hail Mary bomb, sinks it. No rim, no backboard, nothing. Straight shot, Arizona State on your home court in Tempe. Good night. 66 to 65. This team is obviously one that we'll keep an eye out for in the Big West Conference this year. I know, Adam, you've been decently high on them, especially based on how they played your home squad in San Diego State. And honestly, there's a lot of defense on this team, which is really big. Their scoring is not huge. They only have two guys over 10 points between Flynn Cameron and J.P. Moore in the second. So keep an eye on them. Arizona State, I think, will be an okay team this year, especially after I originally picked them to lose to the Portland Pilots. They instead lose their next game in, against a mid-major. For my worst loss, it's not a team that I'm super high on, and I don't want to disrespect Adam's pick, which he was correct with, but I am going to go with South Carolina losing in the Asheville Championship to Princeton. I thought Princeton played pretty well in this game, but you, you can't. Like on a, on a neutral court, you're a power team in South Carolina. You schedule this tournament. You figure you're a lock for the final game to go play Minnesota. Nope. Princeton swings the upset. They played well most of this game, and South Carolina just looked out of sorts. And, I mean, Princeton turned the ball over 18 times and you still find a way to lose this game? I guess that's what happens when you shoot the ball 15% from three and 57% from the free throw line. That is really difficult to do and still be a team in the SEC, one of arguably the best conferences in all of college sports. So shame on you, Gamecocks, for losing this game. Yeah, well, technically it's not a brutality watch, but I'll give it to you, Josh. It was a tournament four-teamer, but – I'll still take it. Princeton, big win. Clearly my favorites in the Ivy right now. They look really good. And I got a friend who plays on the team as well. So I'm pulling for them. Good pick, Josh. Anyway, let's get to our next segment here in the show. We'll stick with the mid-major love as we always do here on Why Not Us. Mid-major moment. What mid-major team picked up the biggest win since we recorded our last podcast? Obviously, we talked about brutality watch wins, but we'll pick different teams or some people pick the same as others. Anyway, who picked up the biggest win in mid-major basketball the last few days? I'll start with Mason on this one. So I had a different team down in this preview, but now that I think about it, when you say the biggest win, it's the win that matters the most. And I'm going to go with St. Bonaventure coming back to beat Canisius. And here's why. St. Bonaventure is playing in a loaded A-10 and can very easily lose some games and lose in the conference tournament and not be an auto bid to the tournament, March Madness. So you're going to try and pick up one of those at-large bids. And you're not going to be able to do that if you have a quad four loss at home to Canisius. But you went ahead, you came back, and you won this game. And that's what you need to do if you're St. Bonaventure trying to hold on to the hopes of an at-large bid. So I think that was the biggest win by a mid-major this week. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go back to another California team beating a Pac-12 team, obviously in the same state here. There was absolutely no doubt that the Santa Clara Broncos were going to take care of business at home against the Stanford Cardinal. They were up very early in this game and they just held on. And that's what happens as well when you shoot the ball 
60% from the field and 48% from three. Doesn't matter if you barely shoot over 50% from the free throw line. This team is ridiculously good. They've got a guy, Keyshawn Justice, who went 14 and 13 on eight shots. They've got another guy in PJ Pipes, great name, by the way, 24 points on nine of 11 shooting, four or five from three. They just couldn't stop him. Jalen Williams also putting up 19. They've got guys who can score left and right. We've been decently high on the Nevada Wolf Pack, and we're a little bit lower on them now after a one and two kind of difficult start to the season. But they just beat Nevada very recently by 22, just took over in the second half after it was a close game. I think the Santa Clara team could be a real threat in the West Coast Conference. Obviously, it'll be exciting once we see them play some really good competition in there, like BYU, San Francisco, obviously Gonzaga, but I think we'd be pretty shocked if Santa Clara would be able to pull the upset there. This Broncos team, they can score a lot of points. It's very difficult to stop them. That's going to help you hang in there with anybody. Yeah, I think both really good choices. I like what Mason brought up, really good point as well. But the biggest win in my mind and the fashion that they were able to do it was obviously had to be BYU going into the Phil Knight Challenge in Portland or Oregon against Oregon with Phil Knight on hand, by the way, and absolutely pummeled the Ducks 81-49. to That is not an error. That is the score of this game. Oregon shot 17-53 of from the field. They were at, they got out rebounded by 14. They held the BYU Cougars held Oregon to 49 points. By the way, Oregon was a tournament team. I think they made the Elite Eight last year, if I'm not mistaken. Really good team. Sweet 16. Sweet 16. Okay, they lost. I think yeah, the USC. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Oregon was a top 15 team in the country. They were only slight favorites to win this game, but the fact that they lost by 30 plus. Tells you something about this BYU Cougar team. Alex Barcelo, one of the most underrated guards in the country, 25 points. And let's not forget here, how old are these guys on this BYU team? They're old. They're all 23 plus because they're Mormon and they went on missions before they went to college. So they have experience. They've played basketball for a long time and they've played together and they have a great coach and Mark Pope. I love this team. I think they could do something as a quad one win for sure. They already picked up a win against San Diego State, and they also picked up a win against Cleveland State. So you have three games, and you have three wins against tournament teams from last season. Really impressive. Their next test will be against Utah in the Mormon Challenge. That will be super exciting. That's probably their only – that's a quad one, quad two game, and then they go to Creighton as well. But they had to pick up this win because they don't have a lot of chances on the resume. As Mason talked about, once again, WCC play – as, we, as Josh mentioned as well, Santa Clara is good. LMU is better. There's a lot of good teams in this conference. St. Mary's is good as well. And then obviously you have Gonzaga. You're going to pick up some losses. So picking up a win like this, is going to really help BYU down the road, in my opinion, try to get that at-large bid. Now we're into the point of the season, guys, which gets really fun. This week, the end of this week and next week, probably the best part of the college basketball season in the non-conference portion. We have tournaments happening we have daytime basketball all day and night long and it starts with a couple tournaments happening tomorrow more this weekend we'll get into a few of them right now but next week on next week's show we will talk about all of them during thanksgiving week it is a fun time to be a diehard college basketball fan like we are but first guys charleston classic who do you guys like to win this tournament? Who do you like to, for them to play in the finals? I'm not going to list off all the names, but who do you guys like? I'll start with Josh on this one. 
So I think the most difficult first round matchup for me to pick is Marquette and Ole Miss. And obviously, as it seems to be a theme with Texas coaches of late, at least ones that have recently been fired, Shaka Smart specifically went out and won the Maui last year. And now he's riding off of this win against the Kofi Coburnless Illinois fighting Illini. But regardless, he's going to be gunning for an early win. And I think they'll have a, a close, tough game, similar to the close, tough game that Texas had against Davidson last year in the Maui against the Ole Miss Rebels. Assuming they win that game, I don't think that West Virginia, who will likely beat Elon, will have a chance. They'll take care of business there. So I do like Marquette more likely than not to make a championship. On the top half of the bracket, this Clemson team is likely the major challenge for St. Bonaventure. I think St. Bonaventure will take care of business against Boise State. They look a little weaker right now. And then I think that game will be decently close. It'll be a good test for the Bonnies early in the season against a Power 5 team. Good for the resume. I really am expecting the Bonnies to make it out based on how high we are on them. And I could almost say that I'd be disappointed if they had a bad performance against Clemson. I know that they were pretty good last year, but they're not a top ACC team by any means. So I'm going to go with Bonnie's versus Marquette. I might be a little bit basic for going with that. And then honestly, it's a bit of a toss up. I, I want the Bonnie's to win this tournament, but I could see Shaka Smart finding a way to have everybody within Austin thinking that it was a mistake to let him go and have the Golden Eagles pulling this tournament out. Yeah, so I'm going to go with, the Bonnies making it to the finals as well. I think the toughest matchup for them on that first half is going to be that Boise State game. I don't think Clemson is any good. Temple is garbage too. And on the other side, that Marquette Ole Miss game is going to be interesting. Elon and West Virginia are relevant. But Marquette Ole Miss, Ole Miss is towards the bottom half of the SEC, but they're still a competent team. Um, you've got a guy, Jarkel Joyner, back who averaged 12 points a game last year. Um, they have their first McDonald's All-American in school history, Deshaun Ruffin. So there is some talent on this team. But I don't know if it's going to be enough to beat Marquette as Shaka Smart is a good coach, has this team playing motivated basketball. I just think the Bonnies are by far the best team in this tournament. And I think they're going to try and prove a point after nearly losing to Canisius. And you've got their top guy, Kyle Lofton, who completely cracked the bed in that game. He's going to try and make a statement as well. And I think they are going to pull out this Charleston Classic. Yeah, so I have the Bonnies making the finals as well. They have a tough road, not going to lie. Boise State's going to give them a lot of issues. I expect that game to be close throughout. And I do think the Clemson game will be close, but they should. They are the better team. They should pull it out in the end as well. But on the other side, that's where, as you guys have talked about, it gets tricky. I'm not huge on Marquette, even though they did win that game against Illinois. I'm not huge on Old Miss either. I think West Virginia is going to make the finals. Bob Huggins teams, I know they're really young this year, but they still have enough talent there. They have a lot of size, as they always do, and they always win these tournaments in November. So I'm going to have them upsetting the Bonnies in the finals in this. They just beat Pittsburgh handily. I know Pittsburgh's not very good, and they get it the easiest round one game of anyone in the field with Elon. So they can sleepwalk through that game, basically, and focus on the semis already. I think West Virginia is going to pull this out. But 
as you know, I will be rooting for the Bonnings, but this is a really big, as Mason has talked about, this is a huge opportunity for St. Bonaventure if they want to build an at-large resume. A bunch of quad two most likely opportunities happening this week in Charleston, South Carolina. Moving on to the Myrtle Beach tournament. This is this feels a little weak. You could say Oklahoma is the only team that is in a power five conference in this tournament. So who do you guys like to win this? Are you sticking with the power five team in the Sooners? I'll start with Mason. I'm actually going to go with Utah State because they've got the path to make it there. They're going to beat Penn in the first round, and then they get the winner of New Mexico State and Davidson, and I think they should win that relatively easy. The Utah State's a good team. The, the Mountain West, they're in the Mountain West, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mountain West is a better conference this year. I think they're a solid team, and Oklahoma – that's probably who they're going to play in the finals because East Carolina's bad. And then who are the other teams? Old Dominion and Indiana State. Like, come on. Those are not even real teams this year. Um, it, it's got to be Utah State for me because OU is not going to be very good. They're going to be seventh or so in the Big Ten or Big 12, excuse me. It's a down year for them losing Austin Reeves. Lon Kruger retired. I, this is just a very weak field, and I think Utah State honestly is the most talented team and has the most to prove, and this could go a long way for an at-large bid for Utah State. So I'm going to pick them to win. Yeah, Utah State's got a long way to go for an at-large bid after losing to UC Davis already this season. So I'm not super high on them. But this could be an opportunity for the Davidson Wildcats and their amazing group of international talent to make some kind of a run here. I know they just lost a tough game in the chase center showcase to San Francisco a few days ago, but I don't know. This, this seems like a really, really weak top half. Penn honestly might give a good challenge to Utah state. We've seen a lot of Ivy upsets this year. So look out for that. I think Oklahoma runs away with this to be completely honest, Lon Kruger or not, this team has the pieces don't forget the Groves brothers on this team. We haven't seen a lot of them, but we'll get to see some televised version of them a little while down the road. They still have got Emoja Gibson, obviously Elijah Harkless. They can go back to some of the guys they still have left on this team, even though they lost Davion Harmon over the offseason. I still like them a lot, and I, I don't see a reason why they should lose this. I think it was basically an invitational created to make them win something. Yeah, I think Long Kruger wanted his team to be in this tournament to gain the confidence. They're a young team, a lot of transfers. As you mentioned, they're trying to get their roots under them, get grounded in this tournament. I think they should win it. But Mason brought up Utah State. I think Utah State is actually the most talented team. But I want to bring up a team that no one's mentioned, and you know I'm high on them every year, and they usually let me down in the tournament. But they're a very good team. They went to Irvine this year and already won. That is the New Mexico State Aggies. They have a transfer in Teddy Allen, who I think is one of the best players at a mid-major level transfer in, from a Power 5 conference. I think he's from Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. He's scored in double figures both games of the season. I think they're going to upset Davidson, small upset, but pick him off. And I can easily see them upsetting Utah State because Utah State, 
They rely on three-point shooting, and if they're not hitting their shots, they can lose to anyone in the country. If they hit their shots, they can beat anyone. So give me New Mexico State and Oklahoma in the finals with Oklahoma winning. But if Oklahoma doesn't win this tournament, I think it's a really bad sign moving forward. And then for the at-large purposes, Utah State has to win this tournament in my eyes to even have a chance at an at-large bid. But now we get to the tournament this weekend that probably more of the audience is interested in. And that is the Hall of Fame tip-off. We got four power programs in this field. We have Villanova, we have Tennessee, we have Purdue, and we have North Carolina. This is a loaded field. I'm so excited for it to get started this weekend. Josh, I'll start with you on this one. Who do you like to win in the Hall of Fame tip-off? Honestly, it's it's really going to come down to Villanova and Purdue for me. I watched UNC at length last night, and honestly, they looked kind of weak, especially in the first half against Charleston. They've got a brand new coach, as we're aware, but I, I don't know. They've they, Their pieces are here and there. They've got a lot of guys that need to do a lot of work. I still like Leaky Black to be a good player on the team, but – Purdue and Nova are two teams that honestly could make a title run. And I think between the two of them, you're going to see hopefully, you know, a fantastic showdown. Purdue is obviously the biggest team in the country between Zach Eady, who John Rothstein called recently the Yao Ming of college basketball. I think that's a great <laughs> analogy. He he's, I mean, who on Villanova as Mason alluded to against UCLA is going to stop him. Who on Villanova is going to stop Travion Williams, who's also insanely good and massive down in the post. It's going to be a very, very difficult game. I think the only reason why Villanova will be able to pull off a win in that game would be is if they can continue to shoot over them. And that very well could be the case. I mean, they've got very competent scorers in Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels, and Connor Gillespie. I think the three of them honestly might be one of the best trios of any starting five in the, in college basketball right now, but it's going to be difficult. I think that if you're Jay Wright, you need to come up with some kind of a game plan. Maybe you go to some more of your bench guys and try to get bigger guys on the floor to stop those big men. Otherwise it's going to be foul trouble and it's just going to be problems because Zach Eady is now really fully coming into form and he's not just a lanky seven foot four guy. He can score. So it'll be difficult. I'm very, very curious. I do really like Purdue throughout the season, and I like them to win this tournament. Yeah, I hate to take your analysis, but I feel the exact same way. We're going to see Purdue and Villanova because Villanova starts with Tennessee. Tennessee really doesn't have the size, so that means Villanova's got the seniority, the experience, and the scoring ability to really take it to this Tennessee team. And then UNC has been up and down. They could maybe give Purdue a run for their money as they've historically lost games that kind of matter to them. But I think this is going to be stop one on a Trayvon Williams revenge tour. This Purdue team is pissed after losing to North Texas in the first round of March Madness last year. And they've got a chip on their shoulder. Trayvon Williams was one of the best players in the Big Ten last year. You've got Yao Ming and Zach Eady. You've got guys who can shoot like... Sasha Stefanovich, and then you've got two other guys in um, Brandon Newman, and then the return of Jaden Ivey for Purdue, who was a very talented freshman for them last year. 
now averaging 15 a game on 50% shooting. So it's going to come down to Purdue and Villanova. And then like we talked about in the beginning, size matters. And I think Villanova is really going to struggle here considering they're going to get out-rebounded by 15. And Purdue's going to be putting up more shots, and that means that they don't have to make them all, and I think they'll be able to win this game. And this could be a step in the right direction for Purdue. They've got the experience. They've got the depth. They've got the scoring ability, and they've got the size. The only thing that's missing from the equation is the free throws, and that remains to be seen for the rest of the season. We know how important that is, but – this could be a Final Four team. Yeah, I don't want to agree with you guys. I was probably going to take Purdue, but I'm going to take Villanova. I can't see them losing to Tennessee, and I think they're going to shoot their way to victory. They hit 14 threes a couple, last night against Howard. I know it's Howard, but Brandon Slater, Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, they're all going to shoot extremely well. Jay Wright's a better coach than Matt Painter at Purdue. Purdue is known to struggle against teams that can shoot the three. North Texas shot the three extremely well last year. And they also played a very good defense. I think Villanova is going to find a way to win this game. It's going to be really close. They're going to get dominated on the boards. But Purdue, until they can prove to me that they can go the distance in a college basketball season, especially the tournament, at least when they're playing high caliber teams in a neutral site, I like the better coach. I like the more experience. And I think Villanova is going to find a way to get a win, but they're going to have to hit a lot of three pointers. The magic number for me is if they hit 12 or more in this game, but it's going to be an excellent game. Might be one of the best games of the college basketball season. Who knows? That's why you play the games guys. We're hitting the end of the show here. And like we do on our other shows, we end it with one Bold prediction. What do you guys have? I'll start with Josh on this one. Well, I'm probably going to have the boldest one. So I'm glad I get to go first. Give me arguably the best mid-major team right now in the country to go on the road and beat a blue blood. Give me the Ohio Bobcats. This team has been off the charts. Obviously, they dethroned the Belmont Bruins, who arguably were a top five, as we argued at one point before the season, mid-major. They took care of business there. They've since taken care of business against Cleveland State and Robert Morris. And I know Robert Morris also played Kentucky, which was a rematch game of an NIT upset about a decade ago. Maybe Ohio has taken that from them after beating them themselves and said, Kentucky, here we come. They get their chance on Friday night at six o'clock. This team is hungry. I think it would be a crazy upset, but Kentucky drops an early game to mid-majors every year. Maybe this is the one. I like that. All right. My bold prediction. We've been talking about the Mountain West for a bit this podcast. And I'm going to go to the Roman main event starting on Friday, where we have Michigan taking on UNLV. And what we saw last year out of Michigan is they're one of the most streaky teams in the country. They were hot for the beginning of the season and then got cold really fast and lost some games that they should not have lost. They were just heartbroken against Seton Hall. And I am betting since that, since they've got the same core pretty much as last year, that that streakiness may continue. 
And I think UNLV is going to shock Michigan on Friday in round one of the Roman main event. Wow. You both of your guys' predictions are going to be way bolder than mine, but I will do a two team bold prediction. I'll start with the U S Virgin paradise jam tournament happening. And who knows where I don't think it's in the country, Colorado state. It's not that great bold. team. Great team. They're going to win this tournament. I don't care that Creighton's in the field. I think they're going to win. They're the better team in my eyes. I like them to win. And then I'm going to sort of piggyback Josh's take. I really do think this Ohio team is special. They looked really, really good. I don't know if they'll pull it off, but give me that parlayed with Colorado State winning the Paradise Jam. That is my bold prediction parlay. Guys, any final thoughts? What this? It's getting really exciting this week and next week, college basketball. Anything that you're looking forward to as you're home with the families watching a little hoops action? I just love some of these tournaments. I mean, this weekend we've got some incredible action. I'll be back with the family on top of Michigan State, Ohio State football on Saturday. What more can you ask for? But got to say one more poor thing about Ohio State. You know who else they play out of the Big East Conference? Seton Hall! Seton Hall! Hall. They play them on Monday. How amazing would it be if Ohio State not only dropped back-to-back games against Big East teams, but, but both of those teams that Seton Hall upsets Ohio State and Michigan, they're just the kings of that rivalry forever if they do that. Yeah, I'm most excited for not necessarily that game, but for the Maui Invitational to start up on Monday. So we get to see the most famous team in the country for one week, Chaminade. They're going to (laughs) take on Oregon at 8 o'clock on Monday. I'm excited to get to see them play, um, and that'll be a good kickoff to Thanksgiving week. They have to fly all the way to Vegas from Hawaii. I feel terrible. I know they the don't. Maui des- Invitational in Vegas. It's at least it's not Asheville this. <laughs> at least it's not yeah. Asheville. They don't deserve that. Every year though, Mason brought brings up a great point. Chaminade is close in one of the three games. Usually in the seventh place game, they almost <laughs> beat Anthony Edwards in Georgia two years ago. They can do it. They'll find a way to be close in the seventh place game. That is my prediction. But I'm excited for. Biggest, my one of my many mid-major teams, Belmont, they go to LSU, and then before after LSU, they're in a tournament, the ESPN events tournament with Kansas. They play Drake. Big week ahead for them. We'll see how they do. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Great analysis as always, Josh, Mason, and for myself, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the hoops. Enjoy the turkey. Enjoy Thanksgiving. We hopefully will have one right before Thanksgiving to preview next week's big tournaments, but enjoy basketball. We're in full swing. It's the best sport in the world. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your weekend.